Thanks for checking out this message from the City on a Hill Summit. For more content and ways to connect visit www.coah.co.za summit. This afternoon I just want us to talk about discipleship through grace and truth. And I might say something that will sound like a curveball, but it truly isn't. And this is how it goes. Only disciples can make disciples, not just believers. And as a start off, because some of the things that I might end up saying, if I don't put a proper context, I might be misinterpreted. So when you read in Romans chapter 8, Verse 29 says, For those that he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. Isn't it? So that he may be the firstborn amongst many brothers and sisters. So from that verse, the, the clarity that I'm getting is that it is God's mind from eternity past that all human beings find a true expression in the image and the conformity to Christ. In other words, God is not giving himself some framework of getting pleasure from anyone who has not conformed to the likeness of his son. That is why when Jesus is baptized, the affirmation is that this is my son in whom I am well pleased. My commentary on that is, and in no one else would I be pleased as I am pleased by him. Therefore, if I am to be pleased by any person here on earth, they must conform to the likeness of my son. He's my highest form and expression and experience of pleasure. Therefore, the highest form of life defined is being like Jesus. Does that make sense? Can we agree on that? So hold the thought. On the other hand, let's bring this other thought. Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Who is Christ Jesus? God's ultimate form of pleasure. Right? So we are created in God's pleasure spot where God is pleased. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Right? So the highest purpose is found in Christ. The highest pleasure is found in in being like him, the highest purpose is found in doing what we were created in him to do. Happiness. Then we, we want to bring these verses together. In Ephesians 1, from verse 3, Paul writes, he says, Blessed or praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms in Christ. All forms of blessings are in Christ. Then he says, for in him he chose us before the foundation. That blameless 
the holy in his sight. And in love, he predestined us unto adoption through him, in him, for him, for his own pleasure. So why am I saying these things? I'm, I'm trying to say to us, when you disciple people, and you discipling them out of their ambition or for their ambition as an end, you're missing the mark. Because you might successfully, in my mind, you're not discipling them. It is safer to say you are mentoring them. Because in my head, and I understand people have the right to use them interchangeably. I don't use in them interchangeable. To me, they are different. And I won't, I'm wrestling you about that. Discipleship for me is one thing. Mentorship is another thing. Now, you can, therefore, in my distinction, mentor someone so good, according to their ambition, away from what they were created to do and succeed. And in that, be a successful failure. Because you have not really done what God intended by discipleship. So for me, whilst other people have a view, and I respect their view, it's just not my view, that discipleship is all and encompassing everything. My view is no. For me, discipleship is that which restricts itself to ensuring that someone brings the Father the highest pleasure by pleasure by conforming to the likeness of Christ and bringing the person to a purposeful, meaningful, spirit-led, purposed life that is found in Christ Jesus, not in their own ambition. For I have seen other people whose ambitions have taken them further than their call. And they are destroyed. So it is from that perspective that I'm saying, when something sounds like a curveball to you, just realize I'm not moving from the premise that which you move from. You move from a premise that you can just disciple everyone in everything. I think you can mentor them in those areas. But I don't think... Discipleship in the context of what the Bible says may be what you intend doing. Maybe it may be what you intend doing, but you may have missed the mark, in my opinion, and you don't have to agree with me. So, talking about discipling through grace and truth, I want to start off reading what John says in First John chapter 1 verse 1 to 3. John says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it, and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father, and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen, heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. 
And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus. Right? Now, He's saying to you and I, I am not conjuring up ideas about what you should be. I am not conniving with someone to say, this guy is a good guy. Let's just tune him up to be a good husband. No, we don't just want a good husband. We want him to be exactly that which we saw from him was full of grace and truth. That which we have seen and heard and touched, that's what we proclaim. Now, let me backtrace my steps. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, speaking of the Great Commission, he says, go ye into all the world and make disciples, and make disciples, and make disciples. Why am I repeating? Because when he called his first disciples, he used the word, the word make. It's a word that defines a process. He says to them, Come, follow me, and I will make you. And the making was not an overnight thing. It was a process of all kinds of experiences with him. But for us, the making is no longer dead. And he says, I will make you. There's a person behind in the making, not just the program. For us, discipleship is a program these days. It is not a person investing in the making process of another. So we want powerful people, but we just give them a program and we are away from their lives. There's no encountering us. But they encounter Jesus in the process of making. Now, when he says, and make disciples, other translations put a comma. They say, make disciples, comma, teaching them to observe, to do all that I have commanded you, right? Other translations put a conjunction. Make disciples and, I'll happily go with the first one. Because the other one in my mind presupposes that if you put a conjunction, you presuppose that a believer is automatically a disciple. But the one that puts a comma or has no comma at all basically simply says, go in the world, make disciples teaching. It embraces the process. And why would I go with that thinking? In John chapter 8, and this is what I want to read. It says, we're reading John chapter 8. I want to take it from verse 31. It says, then Jesus said to those Jews who had believed in him. So if we just use simple grammar to attach identity and definition, these are some form of believers, isn't it? But he says, 
it says he said to the ones who already believed in him, who were believers in Christ. So he's not trying to get them to believe. They are following him. He says to them, if you continue in my ways, another word says, another version says, if you hold steadfastly in my way, then you are my disciples indeed. Another one says, you will truly be my disciples. And then you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. So, these guys have truly believed in him. But, so they are enlisted, right? But they have not resolved to commit to the robust exercise of becoming soldiers. So at the level of competency, they are the same as civilians. In the books of the army, they are soldiers, they are enlisted. But when you put a civilian and you say, let's go into a combat mode, a civilian can hold their own against a supposed soldier. So Jesus is saying, you have believed, but the mark that you are now truly my disciple is when you hold on to my words. When, you know, Jesus became a human being in a very interesting way, according to John. John says, the word that was in the beginning, that was with God. In verse 14 of John 1, he says, and the word became flesh. So Jesus is also simply saying to them, if, you, if my word become one with you, then you are truly my disciple. So then, because in the process of making them, they caught the words. The words became one with them. Actually, he gave them a test in John chapter 6 after they followed him for the bread. And he said to other guys, you, I know you may have believed, but let's just get it right. You are not truly my disciples. How do I know you are following me because of the bread? Am I lying? They're like. And he says, okay, let's do a test. I'm the bread of life. Eat of my body and drink of my blood. How's that goes? They said, no, now you are crazy. And then he says to the disciples, what about you? Why are you still standing here? And Peter, being Peter again, says, where shall we go? Because only you have the words of life. Because Jesus said, the words that I speak are, 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 are spirit and they are Life. So Peter attests to that fact. He says, actually, as a true disciple, I don't know at what age uh, or rather uh, stage of discipling he was, but he was at a point where he, he recognized that a true disciple assimilates the word of God into his life as the measure of the lordship of Christ upon him. So he says, you are Lord because you have the words of life. Now when Jesus then says go and make disciples he says these words to them teaching them to observe to do all that I have commanded you. 
There are two things there. You must have received the commands, the instruction. They must have been so personalized, practicalized, realized, such that it is assumed you have the competencies and the abilities to teach them to others. That is why Paul says to, to, to Timothy, the things you have heard from me and seen, I take it for granted you have assimilated them well enough. Teach them to other faithful. So that's what I'm saying. It's not a curveball. It's a recognition that only disciples who are disciples truly make proper disciples. Because they have taken that word, it has become life, it has become reality, it has become identity, it has become definition, it has become purpose, it has become vision for them, it has become meaning. They are not trying to conjure up things to teach the next person. But here's where the difficulty lies. He says, empty yourself by implication. Of all that I have commanded you into others. And then he uses the word that is a verb. Teach them to observe, to do. Now, and this is where for me discipleship becomes a myth for us as churches. He doesn't say instruct them. Instruction is part of teaching. But he uses the word observe. You know, when you observe, it's the word as he uses there is not observe as in look. It's get engaged. So basically what Jesus is saying is saying to them, go and teach them what you know as I've taught you. Have I taught you how to pray? Yes, Lord. We did say, teach us how to pray. Did I teach you? Did I just instruct you on types of prayers? No, you actually prayed. Good. Go and teach them to pray. Did I teach you how to cast demons? Yes. How? In my name. And do you know that some of them don't come out except by prayer? And Yes. Did you pray and fast? Yes. Okay, go and teach them. You understand what I'm saying? But for us... We assume this is discipleship. But then, you, if you ask us as pastors, have you ever taught someone to pray? No, no, no. We, we preached on it. Yeah, but you didn't teach them to pray. Do you teach your children to pray the way you teach the church? You realize we have double standards. Because with my kids, I teach them the value of the words they speak. The authority which they must say the words. And I say, say the words. But with the church, you just assume they had it, they'll do it. And then they just keep around, going around the same mountain because they were not taught to actually engage. They were taught to just listen to us doing it. We speak of the priesthood of all believers. How does the priesthood happen when it's not engaged in. Does that, does that make sense, saints? So Christian discipleship, therefore, is not just about rules to follow, but getting to know the people 
or the person of Christ and the liberating truth that is found only in him. When we disciple people, we bring them to that place of knowing Christ and the liberating truth that is in, in him. Discipleship should be seen through a lens of sanctification. You know, it's a process. We know justification is like, bam, it's done. But when we talk through, Paul and Peter writes of the sanctifying work of the Spirit. And Jesus in John 17, 17 says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Therefore, when we disciple people, we must be able to come ourselves to a place of the demands of grace that we must, you know, endow on them. People who have received grace know how to give grace. And discipleship cannot happen without grace. Because people are going to falter all the time. But when you know that grace, as sin abounds, grace abounds. But the flip side of the coin is that that same grace that has appeared to all men, that brings salvation, also teaches us to say no to ungodliness. So we get that balance right for ourselves and for others. And this grace is so desperately needed when you try to disciple someone who's specifically anointed to annoy you. <laughs> you, you. You don't have those kinds of people in the life of the church. The people that you would happily pray them out. Like God, we will willingly donate this one to the church. But wasn't Peter like that? Didn't Jesus have the grace? Didn't Jesus get to a place where he says, you know, Peter, the devil has asked to sift you like flour. If it was up to me, being the kind of guy you are, I'd happily hand you over. But I have prayed. That your faith will not fail. And when you are restored, come and strengthen your, your brothers. So for me, there's that aspect. We want to disciple people. We must also teach them grace. Because sometimes after you've taught them to do stuff and they trip, they think they've disappointed you. And then they disappear. They live in condemnation. But you and I know that that's the voice of the enemy. To say, if you think you got it, how come you are faltering like this? But then in, the, in the same token, we must teach them the truth. Fruit-bearing discipleship is through fellowship, not just programs. That's what John is saying. John is saying, we have fellowship with the Father and the Son. We want you to have fellowship with us. So it amazes me that other churches have what they call discipleship program that just includes what we are doing now. They're never in people's homes. They, they just... So here's a few things that have to do with that level of fellowship. 
When you disciple people, you travel with them. Like literally. You go to places, other places. If you are a minister, you go where you minister, you go with them. You know, I was saying to, uh, to the guys at Bot that this is, a, is the most awkward trip for me. I never traveled with my family. If my family is not available, I travel with a team or some. This time around, the only person that was available to travel with me, with me was a singing lady. You understand why I'm here alone. <laughs> Maybe you do it. I don't. For what it looks like, I don't. I'm sure, I'm definitely sure nothing will happen. But that's not what the media will say. <laughs> so you travel with them. What did Jesus? Jesus did it. He traveled with them. You pray with them and for them. What did Jesus do? He did. He prayed with them and for them. And even solicited their prayers, even though I doubt if they would have made any difference. Do you think it would have made any difference when he said to them, wait here and pray? I don't think so. Maybe that's why they slept. He says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But I just think, well, I don't, I, I don't think they would. I don't know. That's just me. Maybe I'm wrong. Visit people. Jesus did. I mean, can you imagine how many people Jesus visited? Simon, uh, uh, Zacchaeus, Martha. He visited a lot of people. And some of them, they were not even nice. They had very adverse ideas. What kind of guy is this? If only he knew the people that are touching him. If says, ah, Simon, I didn't know you speak, you think bad about your visitors. You know? Let people visit you. Remember when Andrew and uh, uh, they, they visited G Jesus in John chapter and they asked, where do you stay? He says, come and see. So the Bible says it was around four in the afternoon. They went, they visited them. But we, some of us, don't even let anyone. The church is an inconvenience to us. Jesus corrected people when they made mistakes. He allowed them to see his humanity. When he was tired, he was tired. So, so much so that they're like, this guy. How can this guy sleep when we are in such a turmoil? There's a storm, he's sleeping. Jesus used to get hung. They even criticized his humanity. One day he felt the need to answer them. He said, yeah, you know, I've been quiet about you guys talking about me. When John came, eating all the kind of stuff he ate, you said he's a lunatic. But I come drinking wine with you guys in your homes, eating your food. And here you are now saying he's a drunkard and a glutton. Because he allowed them in that space where they saw him as a person. So that when they are experiencing their own weaknesses, like Mark said, they can embrace that and entrust themselves to him who is able to save their souls. You know, people, Jesus allowed them to see the privilege of who he was but also 
the price he had to pay. What did he do? Can you imagine Peter telling the stories of his encounters with Jesus? Peter must have been a good storyteller. Can you imagine Peter telling you the story the day he needed to get the coin for their... You, and we got to that place, and the tax collectors were there, and I was thinking, yo, we don't have the money. And, and I was thinking, maybe Jesus will do. Mind you, we've been to so many places, you don't understand. One day we went to this guy, I can't remember, his name is Jarius. The daughter was there. It was me and, and John and, and James. You remember James? When we went, and, and the other guys were out, and he, went, he just went, they were thinking, yo, I don't know what's happening. And he just went, Talita Kumi. They were like, yo! And then... The other time, there was this lady. We were entering a city and they were bringing a coffin. Yo, that day I felt so embarrassed. You know what he did? He went and he touched the coffin. You know, by law, we're not supposed to do that. But he went there. Hey, man, he did some strange things. He touched the lepers. No, you know, you know. But, but that day, he said to me, go and catch the very first fish. And I thought, yo, you, are, you know, I've been catching fish all my life. It has never happened, not even in the stomach, where I found the fish having swallowed anything that I of value. This time, he said, just open its mouth. Can, can you imagine Peter in that space telling you the stories? But the same guy also knows what it means to be in the garden of Gethsemane, to feel forsaken, to hear him saying, I am overwhelmed by sorrow, even to the point of death. Like my hero has just become just like me. And it's good that in discipleship, people find that space with us. Is that okay? Let them see your family, your marriage, you know, and one thing I wanted to add is, don't just disciple other people, disciple your family too. Because for us, normally as leaders, pastor's kids don't have a pastor. Because their father decides on one road, I'm your father. Who do you want, you, who do you want your kids to dis be discipled by? So I'm just saying to us, as, especially as elders, let's remember that. Discipleship is to train and empower them through all we know so that they can do what we do and more. Teaching them to observe every, everything that I have commanded you. That's what Jesus said. And Jesus didn't have a problem with teaching people to the extent that they excel. In John 14 verse 12, he says, He who believes in me, the things that I do. You understand the point of Jesus? Jesus is not saying, the things that I do, you will believe in them. That's not discipleship. He says, the things that I do, you will do. Even greater things. But for us, we are happy to give people what did not make us. You see this powerful guy. He fasts, he prays, he gets in the way, he cries before God and... And then when he comes to the church, he gives the church a crumb of what made him. Like, no, 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 we pray 30 minutes in this church. Really, is that what made you? 
I use such a devil kicker out of five minutes of prayer every day. You just want them to stay enlisted with a competency of a combat technique that is averaging citizens, civilians. No, you must teach them. Paul, the Bible says, when they went back to Lystra and Debbie, they told them that through trials and tribulations and what we must persevere. Sometimes you must teach people that you pray, you pray like Jacob, you hold on to God. That God, I'm not getting out of this prayer meeting until you clearly tells me what to do. Paul says, I asked him three times. I didn't just do, you prayed God has heard you. No, he heard me, but I wanted him to answer me. I prayed, I asked him three times, remove this stone. How, Paul, you are a man of faith. Wasn't once enough? Well, maybe it's enough for you, but I heard Jesus say in Luke chapter 18, pray and do not faint. Pray like that widow. Go and go and go. There'll be a place where you pray once, but it's unfair for you to just say they must pray once when some of the things you didn't receive when you prayed the first time. You prayed like Daniel until... Gabriel came and said, the first day when you fasted and prayed. You understand what I'm saying? Now, when you come to people, you water it down. Because you want them to have this uh, nice... No, 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 no. The devil is not a nice guy. In our wrestling with the demonic forces, there is no demilitarized zone. Every area is the war zone. So you can't send people with nappies into a blood wars, bloody war zone. You must send men that are convicted that I have someone to kill. I have a demon to cast. I have a spiritual warfare to engage, whatever it takes. But for us, we are happy for people to just pray nominal prayers. And then we say to them, it's fine, but it's not. So they must see us. Paul says, I travel. So when he speaks to Timothy, he, he takes, he says, Timothy, when you are sick, do this. Timothy, when you are intimidated by people, do this. Timothy, when you are engaged with men older than you, do this. So eventually he says, Timothy, I've taught you enough so that I can instruct you. Don't let anyone look down on you. Be an example. Did I teach you faith? Yes. But you know, I just added from your, your, your mother and your, and your grandmother. They taught you faith. I added. I brought in, stay the gift, Timothy. Timothy, don't just be happy to say, I pray in tongues for five minutes. If tongues, you truly believe that tongues stay you inside you, you charge yourself, then it would be nice to stay charged, especially now under load shedding. <laughs> that you don't go load shed in a war zone. So the point I'm bringing to us is this, is that when we go for discipleship, let's count the cost of what it means to invest in others and let's be aware, they may not always be returns as expected. But the investment is still worth it.
Let's teach the people the value of things so that they understand the cost attached. Let's hold people accountable to the process. We must remind the people that we don't do all these programs and events just because we just want to fill the calendar. It's because we have a mandate to train you, to equip you, to ensure that you are fully matured, that you can stand your own. Shall we stand up? Other things the Lord will clarify. Um, I'm just going to hand over to Gareth, but as I do that, I just want us to pray. For me, some verses in the Bible speak louder. One of those verses is in the book of Revelation. John writes, he says, then I saw a city, New Jerusalem. Remember, it has 12 gates. 12 foundations, names of the apostles and the names of the tribe. But then he says something that really hits at home. He says, outside the city are liars, dogs. Then he adds something that I don't want to be, cowards. If you, let's just allow ourselves to literally think about it. Imagine if producing cowards, literally. Let's not negate necessarily what Christ has done, but let's just think this way. If outside the city are cowards, how many of the people we produce would stay in the city? For me, sometimes I sound insensitive to people. But I always tell them, when we rip off bandages, it's not because we don't care about you. It's because we, we don't want you to crystallize and be handicapped forever because even when you are healed, you still think you are wounded because of the bandage. And I think sometimes when we preach, we must call people into that place of total commitment and saying, it's going to cost you. He has given everything. Give your best because even your best is not your everything. So I just want to pray that even as we go into a time of commissioning, that you and I are convicted that this journey is not for cowards. That we don't want to raise cowards at the same time. We want to disciple men and women who are aware that Although the battle is the Lord, it's is fought by valiant people. So can I pray for us? Heavenly Father, here we stand, we proclaim victory in the name and the blood of Jesus. The truth is, there won't be testimonies, there won't be victories unless there are battles to be fought and won. And every army needs a vanguard. It needs a front line. Needs mighty men and women who will stand and face any enemy in any season. Those who, when they are injured, they don't play dead. They remember that, yes, I may be taken for treatment. 
but it doesn't mean I'm out of the war. They never take leave from their post. They don't go AWOL. They are forever mindful that I'm a soldier in the army of Christ. Wherever the enemy is, I am deployed. So, Father, we don't want to just end up enlisted, but we want to get into that training, that making of disciples. We want to be men and women who are thoroughly taught in Scripture, in warfare, in the spirit, in spiritual things, who know what to do. Therefore, we pray for that conviction that I must be trained. When the leaders are calling me in, I'm going to be there because my captains are preparing me for the next battle. And when others are enlisted, I'm not just going to leave them operating at the competence of a civilian. I'm going to train them up too that they will come to that place of a sniper, of a Navy seal, of whatever marksman competencies they have to be based on their gifts and calling. And we want to commit to this, Lord. In Jesus' name, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for listening to this message from the City on a Hill Summit. We hope this message was a blessing for you like it was for us. And remember, to find more content and ways to connect. Please visit our website, www.coah.co.za summit.